Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Six, four, Welcome to another episode of the 643 Podcast. It's been a while, I know. It's been a bit since we've all uh, been able to listen to an episode here on the show, but uh, I'm glad to be able to bring you this episode for a couple different reasons. One, it's always nice when I can get the podcast up and going. Most of you guys know this is kind of where it all started, going all the way back to TPS with Doc and myself. And if you've really been following me for quite a while, even back farther than that, was shell-shocked with uh, my boy Jaquan Jenkins. Where we were doing, uh, God, we were doing three-hour, four-hour shows covering everything on the uh, Shellshocked podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a little bit of a trip. And uh, to see where it's gotten to now, where you guys can hear me on the radio pretty much every day of the week, just about. Um, I have a podcast going on with 680, where most of you know I started interning uh, back in 2015. It's pretty cool. So uh, just like to take a little bit of time out of the show to say you guys thank you. I always do appreciate uh, how far I've gotten. It wouldn't have happened without uh, some of you guys, for some reason, deciding that you wanted to listen to me nonstop. So uh, what it really does mean, though, is if we're getting the 643 back up and running, it has to be a reason. That main reason would be because baseball's back in the air. Spring training is officially underway. We've gotten three games out of the way now for the Braves, I believe it is. Could be two. Um had a couple games, at the very least, out of the way. Uh, about to get underway in about an hour today uh recording on tuesday so by the time but by the time you hear this the game will already have started hell it might be over by that point but this one is going to be another one that i'm excited to see not now I'm, I'm excited anyway like all of you just as soon as there's baseball on i'm going to watch it's just how it goes or i'm going to listen if i can't watch it on tv but today ian anderson gets his first go around in spring training excuse my gigantic lab who for some reason, likes to make as much noise as possible during the recording. I'm sure you'll hear her. Uh, Mila, you're used to hearing Gucci at this point. Um, he's over up doing something stupid. Um, but I don't want to take up too much time with just kind of nothingness. So early on so far in spring training, we've seen a couple good things, a couple not so good things, especially including the new rules with uh, the very first game of spring training, the Braves. Uh, this was the second game, yeah, the second game. This was the uh, the Cal Conley game, as it's going to be known as, um, where the Braves came up on the back end of the new rules regarding um, <clears throat> regarding the pitch clock and 
what that means for hitters and things of that nature is uh, Cal Conley, shortstop, second base, middle infielder in the minors. He was up in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded, tie game, two out. Essentially, like the the perfect situation that you dream of when you're a kid. Um, now, granted, you dream of the World Series, not spring training, but that type of situation, chance to uh, to win it for the Braves. And again, spring training, but for a guy like Cal Conley, who's not going to make the club out of spring training, this is more just a case of being able to, to make a, a really good impression. It's deemed that he is not alert to the pitcher at the eight-second mark of the pitch clock, and so he's rung up. And because spring training games don't go into extra innings, it ends up a tie after the Braves had done a whole lot of work to get that game tied back up. Uh, Conley couldn't believe it. Braves fans, um, very not happy about it. And this is something I talked about yesterday on uh, on the Front Rows Audio Fun Bag, where by the letter of the rule, just strictly going by the letter of the rule, that interpretation is correct. Now, it's not the spirit of the rule, and it's not a good portion of the rule. It's a portion of the rule that needs to be adjusted before you get to the regular season. But technically, the umpire is correct in his call there. The problem is that it's a subjective call. And if there's one thing Braves fans can't stand, it's any subjectivity when it comes to calls. Look no further than Braves fans and our hate relationship with instant replay. Anytime you start adding in extra subjective judgments on the part of the umpires, Mm -hmm. bad things are going to happen. It never turns out well. I know we think that it affects the Braves more than it affects anybody else, but that's just because we happen to watch all the Braves games. If you ask White Sox fans, they'll say the same thing. If you ask uh, Padres fans, they'll say the same things. It just that, that whenever you add subjective or extra subjective viewpoints into this sport, you're going to have people get upset. And I think we can all agree that we don't want more power in the hands of umpires like Stevie Buckner or Angel Hernandez. Now, some umpires are fantastic and they'll do a great job. I don't want to bash umpires, but we all know that there are umpires that are objectively terrible at their jobs and you don't want them being able to decide the outcome of the game. Now, there's a very, very simple fix for this, and it's something that's been a part of baseball throughout the entirety of baseball, which is as soon as the batter has both feet in the box, the pitcher, as long as he's on the rubber, he can pitch. I don't understand why we had to add in an alert to the pitcher rule here when that's never been a rule just for for normal batting, where it's just as soon as both feet are in the box, you better be ready to go because that pitcher can pitch doesn't matter if you're looking at the third baseman. doesn't matter if you're – it really doesn't even matter if you're holding your hand up for time from the ump because the umpire doesn't have to grant you time. So you can do this. You can have the pitch clock and just say you have to have both feet in the box by the 8-second mark or the 10-second mark and be good to go. Cal Conley says that he was thrown off because the catcher was not in his crouch, so he decided to, to kind of, you know, kind of readjust and, and get himself – squared up and ready again and that's what took his focus off the pitcher and that's what got called out now there have been a lot of people pointing out that um this is going to lead to gamesmanship from the catcher and don't think you're wrong and that's kind of the point of this the catcher and the pitcher don't have to operate under the same rules there's no part of that rule that says that the catcher has to be crouched by the eight second mark it only it is only in regards to the hitter which means you don't want to you're going to see catchers standing up 
adjusting, being loud, or doing something stupid to try to distract the hitter and make him look away from the pitcher because that's going to be an automatic strike. You'd be foolish if you didn't do that. There's one thing that you know about major leagues, and major league players in general, coaches and all of that, they're going to try to find every advantage possible. So you have to take that out of the equation. You can't leave it up to them. They're going to find loopholes and everything. And that the, the way to get around that is not even necessarily being more specific. It's almost being a little bit more vague, having less rule going into it. It's again, like I'm saying, just say both feet have to be in the box by the eight second mark. And then whatever happens after that, if you're not paying attention, well, then that's an easy strike for that pitcher because he can just loft one in there. We're not going to outlaw the quick pitch, which would seem to be the same thing. It's just the pitcher equivalent of the hitter. So if the hitter has to be alert to the pitcher, does that mean the pitcher has to wait until the hitter is alert to him? Because That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't really care about the pitch clock itself one way or another there are instances on certain pitchers like Pedro Baez as you've all seen the video going around on social media of um, David Ross taking that bat against Pedro Baez and then in the other window is uh, Landon Knack from the Dodgers and you see he throws nearly a full inning before Pedro Baez throws one pitch and that's a problem when you talk about the reason behind this rule, it's to speed up the processes of the game. It's to take away the downtime and get more action into the game. And for hardcore fans, you'll say, you know, I don't really care because it's baseball and I love baseball. And I'm, I'm with you on that, although there is, there is a point. There is a point where you're just wasting time and what you're doing is, is irritating and annoying, where a guy like Pedro Baez, he takes that much time because he's generally not good if he has to go at the same speed as everybody else. To which point I would say, if you can't play the game at a normal speed and you have to do something kitschy to kind of make your way in the league, then you probably don't belong in the league. So I don't care about that. If you start telling me that it's just, you know, no longer going to take a minute and a half between pitches for some of these guys, fine, okay, that's cool. I don't like limiting the number of pickoff attempts. That that seems kind of stupid to me. Now, the reason they're doing that, they say that it's to speed up the game. Really, it's to encourage more stolen base attempts and make you be a little bit more thoughtful with your pickoffs. But really, it's because if you're limited to, to, to two pickoff attempts as a pitcher, unless you get them on the third one, but you're limited to two pickoff attempts, that means if you waste your two, that runner is going to get a pretty hefty lead. This is one of the things that you're going to see from the Braves, especially this year, having a guy like Sean Murphy behind the dish. I guarantee you Sean Murphy's going to backpick at least one runner this year. At least one. It's going to become, it's actually going to become, I think, not a big part because I don't think many coaches, even, even with the bigger bases and the more incentive to, to steal and to run, I don't think they're just going to go willy-nilly and risking those outs. It's easier with no shift for sure. Because you feel like you feel like you're not gonna be so strapped for hits in the game. You feel like you're not gonna have to hold hard because you may only get four or five hits in the game. You feel pre- you you should feel pretty confident that you'll be able to get at least a couple more hits than you would have normally. Which means you're probably a little bit more likely to risk an out on the base paths, or at least just risk an out in general. Versus when you have to hoard every runner you get on base because you just don't know how many more you're going to get. But I don't think they're going to be so reckless that you just start seeing back picks left and right. But if you have a catcher that's got a great pop time, a strong and accurate arm, 
like the Braves do, like the Phillies do, it's a big deal. That's something that I think you're going to see, especially early, when everybody starts really messing around with the rules. I think this is almost something where I don't know if Snickers is going to go this route, but it is something the Braves could kind of do. Now, it's a risk, but it is something the Braves could kind of do early on to try to instill it into other teams later on in the season that even if he wastes his two pickoff moves, you, you need to be smart because Sean Murphy will backpick you, and it can kind of keep runners a little bit closer to the bag where you don't have to worry about people just running wild all over you. I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that early in the season. Overall, I think baseball actually did a pretty good job with the rule changes. And as far as the pitch clock itself goes, you take away that one spot about being alert to the pitcher, and I don't think anybody's going to be that upset about the rule. I don't care if games are shorter or longer. As long as I don't, I don't care. I love the game regardless. I'm going to watch regardless, even if I complain about things, which you guys know. I'm not one to complain, ever. Um, that's just, you know, that's not my bag. I, I'm an easygoing guy. I'm always happy. I'm never, never, ever complaining. But if you're trying to bring in casuals, the whole point is, well, you know, they don't have the attention span for three hours, so we'll cut it to 2.45, and that should bring, bring them in. That's not really the case here. The goal should not be less time. It should just be more action, more more field of play, something where you're not where half of the time isn't a batter adjusting himself and messing around with his cup and taking off and putting back on his batting gloves and things of that nature, the downtime in the game. And I understand the same when, when people talk about the timing of a football game versus a baseball game. They're pretty much the same times. Baseball has it a lot more difficult because it's, you know, it's a – long much longer season so with football even if the games are really long you have a very set number of football games very small number of games relatively speaking you only have 17 in the nfl that you're guaranteed you only have 12 13 that you're guaranteed in college so even if the games are three and a half to four hours sometimes well you don't get a lot of them and there's a lot of action there's somebody hitting each other on every single play in football so yeah that's a bigger deal it's going to draw your attention a little bit more and build up the suspense Baseball doesn't have that. So in that in that regard, and just judging from what I've heard from minor leaguers, the clock really isn't going to be a big deal if they do this correctly within a year or two. And really, even by the end of the season, I think it'll be pretty much fine. If you look at the way it happened in the minors, first couple of weeks, you got a lot of people getting called for violations, usually at least one a game. And then after a couple of weeks, it went to one every other game, and then Nowadays, nobody even thinks about the pitch clock in the minors. It's just kind of how it goes. And if you're a pitcher who's doing well, it makes sense. You don't want to hold the ball too long. You want to get it back and throw it again. Uh, for a hitter, you know, you're not going to be able to mess with the pitcher's timing very much. But there are guys like Nestor Cortez and Marcus Stroman who are going to have to figure some new things out. They like to vary Johnny Cueto, another one of those, who like to vary their times to the plate to mess with the hitters. You have to be very careful, very cognizant of when you start to make sure you actually get the ball out on time or it's an automatic ball. No, I don't. I don't think that it was, at least for me, I don't think it was a huge necessary need. But I do like that I'm not going to have to watch Pedro Baez take two minutes to throw one pitch, which is, that's a net positive. Now, the bigger bases, I'm a much bigger fan of those, especially because my team happens to be a team full of speed, as you're going to see a lot this year. Um, Acuna, Harris, and Ozzy, those are all guys you can look at and say, Acuna and Harris for sure should be 30 steals plus. Uh, Ozzy, Ozzy is typically more in the 20 range, 
bigger bases with the way he's able to get up to speed and his aggressiveness, I think you're going to see Ozzy flirt with 30 this year. I think Vaughn is close to 20 bags. He's anywhere between, I think he's anywhere between 16 to 20 bags. He's got enough speed for more. Just depends how much he gets on base and uh, how aggressive he's going to be. But this Braves team is going to run. They're going to run a lot. I think that's going to be something that's really big part of the game for a lot of teams. There are a few teams that are really, really fast. But the Braves are very uniquely set up where they've got massive, massive power and a ton of speed, comparatively speaking. This is why I keep looking at this offense. And, you know, some would say that I'm just being a homer with how high I am on the team. And there's probably an element to that, for being honest. Uh, I'm not exactly an unbiased source on here. I've never claimed to be. I'm a Braves fan, first and foremost. I also just... I'm not going to lie to you guys or try to pretend if I feel something, I'm going to say it. And I think this Braves team, I think they're the best team in baseball. Just even if I'm being unbiased here, just looking at the roster up and down, the only team that I think you could argue with them is the Astros. And if you want to tell me the Astros are one and the Braves are two, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I think it's, you could easily make that case. I think they're extremely similar teams. And if you're just going up and down, would you rather have, and we'll, we'll play this game. Let's play this game. Just in the position groups here, would you rather have Sean Murphy or Martin Maldonado? That's an easy answer for Sean Murphy. Would you rather have Matt Olson or would you rather have Jose Abreu? Going forward, you would say Matt Olson for sure because Abreu's getting up there. If you're just going based off of this season alone, you might could call that a push. If you say Abreu, then I'm not going to really argue with you. If you say Matt Olson then I'm going to agree with you. I'd rather have Matt Olson. I want the guy with more power. I want the guy, and they were pretty similar in value last year. Jose Abreu was slightly more valuable at 3.9 F4. Matt Olson was, uh, what was he last year? Give me one second to have this pulled up. Matt Olson last season, in his age 27 season, by the way, first season in Atlanta, he was 3.1. So yeah, there's a pretty hefty difference there. Now defense would account for a lot of that. Olsen went 240, 325, 477. I happen to think that's going to be his worst season as a Brave. But he still hit 34 homers, drove in 103. And I know the defense was bad last year, but I know he's an exemplary defender, as is Jose Abreu. So if you want to tell me Jose Abreu, that's fine. I'll give you, just for the sake of this, I'll give you Jose Abreu. Uh, I think it's going to be Matt Olsen this year. I don't think Abreu is going to have 30 home run type power, even though he's got the short ports, the Crawford boxes. I just don't think he's going to have that type of power. Um, I, w- I would bet that Matt Olson has a better season than Jose Abreu, especially with the shift ban. That shift ban, I think, is going to play a big difference for Matt Olson because that might be the, the difference between Matt Olson hitting 240 and Matt Olson hitting 260. As much as I don't care about batting average, it's whatever else comes into play. The on-base percentage will be up. Every other number will go up just from the fact that he's going to have, I think, a fair bit more amount on base. Plus, he's just happier and, and more in the swing of things this year. I think it's a big, big year for Matt Olson. Um, second base, would you rather have Jose Altuve? Would you rather have Ozzy Albies? Same thing as first base. Going forward, you're going to say Ozzy Albies because he's younger. For this season alone, you'll say Jose Altuve. Now, don't get me wrong, Braves fans. I love me some Ozzy. And just like I think Matt Olson is primed for a big year, I think Ozzy could be, I think Ozzy could be the biggest beneficiary of the shift ban. Because the, the big detriment for Ozzy is that he kind of is not great hitting left-handed. This is why for pretty much the entirety of his career, people have been begging him to give up switch hitting and just bat left-hand or just bat right-handed. Now, if 
In his best season, his WRC plus as a left-handed hitter was like 97. That was a season where he was essentially a five-war player. If he can replicate that again this year with the shift ban and even just get that WRC plus to 97, 99-ish, which I think he can do better. If it can, lo and behold, if it gets to 100, 105, you're talking about Ozzy as being a five and a half, maybe even a six war player. Now that there's no shift in defensive metrics, are going to take a big jump for the good defenders. And Ozzy is one of the truly elite defenders at second. But for the sake of this, I'll give you Altuve because most people are going to say Altuve. Shortstop. This one's a no-brainer. Jeremy Pena or Vaughn Grissom. You're going to take Jeremy Pena. Third base. So right now we're at 3-1 Astros if we're being very kind. Um, third base. This is pretty easy. Now, Bregman is really, really good. Austin Riley's better. That should not be a question. So we're going to say Austin Riley. 3-2 Astros. Right field. You taking Ronald Acuna or you're taking Kyle Tucker? I love me some Kyle Tucker. But you're taking Ronald Acuna. Oh, is Ronald healthy? Well, he's healthy right now. And if, the, if Ronald's healthy, the answer is Ronald. For any question in right field, the answer is Ronald. So tied up. Center field. Are you going Chaz McCormick or are you going Michael Harris? Don't even need a second to debate. That's Michael Harris. Left field. Say Michael Brantley or Jordan Alvarez. That's, what, that's who you're taking. So you're giving that to the Astros. D.H., if Jordan's playing, I, I can't have Jordan in both. So for the sake of this argument, we'll say Jordan and left. Well, we'll say Brantley and left and Jordan at DH. Which you take Jordan over Travis Darno. You take Jordan over any hitter. I think Jordan is the best pure hitter in baseball. But you see my point. Then you get into the pitching staff. Are you taking Fromber Valdez? Are you taking Max Freed? Some people will say Fromber. The answer should be Max. Max is a better pitcher. Are you taking who would be their number two this year? Uh, you taking Christian Javier or are you taking Spencer Strider? Javier's fantastic. Strider's just a better version. Give me Strider. You want Hunter Brown or do you want Kyle Wright? I think Hunter Brown is really, really good. I'm going to take Kyle Wright. I saw what Kyle Wright could do last year and, well, he's going to regress. Well, Hunter Brown's never been a starter. So give me the, give me, give me the guy who's at least got one great season as a starter. Luis Garcia or Charlie Morton? I'm going to say Charlie, but I won't, I won't be too angry if you say Luis Garcia. So, I mean, you see where I'm going with this. The Braves have a better bullpen, too. They're very comparable teams, and there's not another team in the league that's as well-rounded as these two teams. Those are the two teams that, for the foreseeable future, should be battling it out in the World Series, or more often than not, should be in there especially when you look at the Los Angeles Dodgers and you see the big bad Dodgers, you look at that roster, it's not a very good roster. Yes, they have Freddie, and Freddie's amazing. Yes, they have Mookie, and Mookie is incredible. Will Smith is very good. I wouldn't call him elite, but he's very good. But that's kind of about it. Now, we'll see what some of their young guys can do. Guys like Miguel Vargas, who are going to have to be, they're going to have to take over the spot for Justin Turner, who's now in Boston. Um, maybe you see Bobby Miller, one of their really exciting pitching prospects. I think Gavin Stone is probably a good bet to come up this year as well. Maybe if Dustin May can actually stay healthy. They've already announced he's going to have pitching limits this year, but if he can stay healthy for most of the year, 
that's a really, really good arm. Tony Gonsolin is talented if they ever actually take the reins off. But the Dodgers also have this philosophy of they're only going to let you throw five innings. It's one of the reasons why they don't perform as well when you have to go longer in the postseason. Like Julio Arias is really good. He's supremely overrated, but he's really good. Excuse me. Drink a coffee there. I think if you're really just looking at the Braves' competition in the National League, you're looking at the Mets, you're looking at the Phillies. I guess you could say you're looking at the Cardinals, but their pitching's terrible, so I don't think they're going to do it. Really, I'd say it's probably between the Mets and the Braves. And the Mets, for as, for as good of a job as, as they did in bringing back all their people and then swapping DeGrom with Justin Verlander, Kodai Senga, I think, was probably their best move of the offseason, honestly, and I don't know what Kodai is going to be. I think, depending on who you talk to about Senga, you will get people that think that he's a top-of-the-rotation guy, or you'll get people that think he's kind of a mid-range guy. I think he's going to be closer to Masi Tanaka than he's going to be to you, Darvish. I know he throws harder than Tanaka, but I've never really thought... And, and Senga's a guy that you've kind of known if you're in the business. You've kind of known that he was going to be coming stateside for the last few years. And if you play the show and you ever download rosters and things like that, Senga's name has been featured for at least the last couple of years in terms of some of those rosters that you could add as a free agent. He's a really good pitcher. He's got his forkballs nasty. And it's one of, the re- one of the reasons I like Japanese pitchers, and it's stupid, but I love forkballs. You don't see them from the American pitchers at all, but Japanese guys tend to have forkballs instead of splitters. It's one of the things that makes Roki Sasaki. Well, Roki's is a little bit different. We'll see Roki in the World Baseball Classic. One of the players I'm most excited to watch. Um, he's going to get broke off, broke off when he comes over here to the States. But like Shohei, it's a splitter. Most of the time for those Japanese pitchers, though, even if we call them splitters, they're typically fork balls, which is, you know, you're splitting hairs. They're a very similar pitch. It's like, what's what's the difference between a sweeping curve and a curve, whatever? It's, you know, they're very, or a, a, a Vulcan change versus a circle change. It's really just where you put your fingers. But the motion is the same. Um, still, just a nerd like me that gets into pitch mix and things like that. I love seeing fork balls, especially really good ones. And a really good fork ball basically stops right as it gets to the plate and just falls off the table. It's one of my favorite pitches to watch. Uh, it's where the split change kind of really originated was from the fork ball. You just throw it a little bit harder. Not doesn't have quite as much downward break. Um, so I think Senga is going to be good, but I think he's you know he's like Masahiro Tanaka. He's a third starter, and I don't I'm not ready to say that he's going to be better than Chris Bassett was. But I'd probably call that one a push. Jose Quintana, you lost Tywin Walker. I know there are some people that love Jose Quintana. I'm not going to trust a person that throws 88 to 91 and throws sinkers nonstop. That's the only pitch he really throws. I've seen Quintana blow up for years now, and I've never been a Jose Quintana fan. Going back to Quintana's time with the White Sox, when the argument was who was better between Jose Quintana and Julio Tehran, and they were pretty similar pitchers. I'm not, I don't, I don't think Quintana is a phenomenal pitcher. He's fine. I think Tywin Walker is more talented, but Quintana's going to throw more. So, I think the Mets are a good team, but I kind of think the Braves should kind of run away with it the National League. I think the balanced schedule is going to be something I think the balanced schedule can really help the Braves. Can really help it's really going to help the Phillies though. Because the Phillies are going to lose 10 games against the Braves and the Mets, which is fantastic for them because the Phillies have a lot of power. 
don't be scared from what you've seen early in spring. I know they're hitting balls all over the yard. They do have a lot of power. And having no Bryce Harper until about midseason going to suck for them. But adding Trey Turner, that was a great move. If they get a step forward from Bryce and Stott, then they're going to have a really good infield. Reese Hoskins, I can't stand Reese Hoskins. He seems like the most mad player ever, but he can hit bombs. He's got 30 home run power. He's a pretty decent hitter. Not great, but he's a pretty decent hitter. Does his job. Alec Bohm is an X factor there. Alec Bohm went from looking like a bust to kind of doing the Austin Riley thing. Do you guys remember before Austin really broke out in 21? He was kind of slapping a little bit, slapping singles around, just kind of getting on base. And then all of a sudden in that Yankee series, he got that one over the wall and it just exploded from there. It's possible that Bohm is kind of doing the same thing. So I'm going to keep an eye on Alec Bohm this year. It is a guy that if he figures the swing out, big, big power, big bat speed, he's a guy that should hit for quite a bit of power. Now, I want to see him do it before I crown him or anything. That's a big deal for the Phillies. Because if Alec Bohm can actually hit for power and actually still be a decent hitter, then that, that's much nicer. That's much, much nicer outlook for those guys. Uh, but still. You know, they, they have their two studs. They've got Wheeler. They've got it. They've got Zach Wheeler. They've got Aaron Nola. And that's fantastic. Those are the guys who are going to do really well. But they spent a ton of money on Tywin Walker, which that's basically wasted money. Andrew Painter is the one to watch for them, rookie. He gets up there. He is exceptionally talented. He's the only, He might be as good as Grayson Rodriguez. He really might be. Uh, I don't think he's going to be down in the minors very long. So if that's the case, he could come up and be similar to what Spencer Strider was last year for the Braves. If that's the case, then all of a sudden they're three deep, and it's really deep three. Uh, Ranger Suarez is really good, as we found out. I wouldn't put him in the elite tier or anything. He typically doesn't go very deep in games or anything like that. But when he's on, he's really, really tough to hit. So, I mean, they've got a decent rotation. Their bullpen still sucks. Um, they're a good team. I would say that they're an upper 80s win team. 87, 89 wins. I just, there's a lot of people that are buying in too much on the Phillies just because they made it to the World Series last year. I just, I don't see that. I, I think that that was really more of a function of the Braves and the Mets just bashing each other up to get there. Not that I, I it's not that the Phillies were a better squad. They got hot, they started mashing at the right time. And that's always the fear when you play the Phillies, is they do have so much power in that lineup. That if they're all if they're all getting it offensively, if you hit them at the wrong time, they can drop eight a game on you very easily. And then even with their bad pitching, it's tough to come back. It's tough to win a game that you have to score seven or more to actually win. So that is something in the Phillies' back pocket. But the Braves can do that too. And that's that's where I'm at on this. If you're looking around and you're saying that I'm just being too much of a homer because I think the Braves are the only team in the National League that's got a shot at 100 wins this year. Padres could, I guess. It's hard to beat a top four uh, in your lineup of Xander Bogarts, Juan Soto, Manny Machado, and Fernando Tatis. It's really hard to beat that. The rest of them, though, like, I really like ha Kim. Kim. Um, Jake Cronenworth can be pretty good. Trent Grisham's not going to hit. I don't care what he does in spring training. He can't hit. Um, their catching situation, Jorge Alfaro, he can't hit. So, no, I'm not I'm not as worried about that. Left field for them, fine, whatever, who cares. But their pitching is their big question. You Darvish, fantastic. I love you Darvish. I'm actually kind of sad that they gave him that extension because it means I'm never going to see you Darvish in Atlanta. 
and I just really wanted to see you at one point. I love him. Um, but good for him. He got broke off, and he's a really, really talented pitcher. Um, Joe Musgrove, very talented, um, good pitcher, dependable, but not a guy that's going to blow you away typically. Um, but he, he's a very good pitcher who tends to kind of go deep in games, so that's a good one there. I just don't think that their their rotation is built to really win much. Now, they can do the same thing as the Phillies. They can mash on offense between those four guys. They can mash and win it that way. I do think they win the West. I think they're a way better team than anybody else in the West. And I think that A.J. Preller recognizes that he kind of has to win one in the next couple of years or he's gone. But overall, you're looking at the Braves. What's there not to love about this team? Left field? You got about six players competing. You only need one or two of them to, to even be okay. And if I'm being honest with you guys, if left field situation doesn't look good by the end of spring training, I think Alex will bring in another left fielder. I keep saying this. and I'm going to keep saying this. Anthony Santander from the Baltimore Orioles. It is the perfect fit. If you want to say Max Kepler, fine. That's a really good fit, too. I don't know the Twins are going to want to trade him. But Kepler would be a good fit because he's a great defender. But Anthony Santander, you want to talk about adding in a bat, a switch hitter, 30 home run type of guy. He's a bad defender. But again, if I got Michael Harrison center and I got Ronald Acuna in right field, I don't really care about left field defense. I really don't. You make a guy that can stick there and can mash. Santander can mash. Hits the ball really hard. High exit velocities, high max exit velocities. So you know there's real juice there. It's not just built on strength. That would be, and for a team in Baltimore that needs pitching, and it doesn't have to be top-end major league pitching. Like, I keep saying this. Whoever loses the fifth starter battle between Soroka and Ian and Bryce Elder, which we're going to see Ian today. Again, coming up in about 30 minutes. I can't wait because Ian's got a slider that he's starting to win. And this is what I've been waiting for for Ian Anderson. You guys heard me talk about it. Ad nauseum last year. Something with some horizontal break for Ian is going to be so much better for him. It's going to make him so much more unpredictable. And I really think that's really all Ian needs because his stuff is good enough, but it's not great stuff-wise. So if hitters kind of know where to look at and know it's not going to break away from me, it's only going to break down by varying degrees, that makes it so much easier as a hitter. Now, if that slider is something, if, if he can do what Max did, don't forget, when Max came into the rotation, he didn't have a slider. He was fastball, curveball, changeup, and really just more fastball, curveball. When Max added that slider, that slider was better than his curveball. That slider has become one of his better out pitches, and you saw in his first turn through the road, his first turn in spring training, that slider was really good again. If Ian can have a slider that's that's even on the same level of his curveball, and I don't see any reason why he can't, because all of Ian's pitches are dependent upon each other. None of them really stand up on their own. I'd call them 50 to 55 grades. If his slider can be anywhere from a 45 to a 55 grade, that makes Ian so much tougher to hit for big league hitters that it's going gonna, it's gonna to result in a much better season for Ian Anderson. He told me at FanFest that he'd had a new pitch that he was debuting. I thought that it might be a cutter, but it might even end up being similar. If he just hardens it up a little bit, all of a sudden, then it's a cutter or a slider. If that's the case, you could see Ian with two horizontal breaking pitches. 
like it's hard to remember. It's easy to forget. Ian's like 24, 25 years old. He's not, you know, we've seen him for three years and we think of him as an established guy. But he's not super established. He hadn't been around a really long time. So I'm excited to see that. So whoever loses between Ian and Soroka and Elder, I think they're I think they're gonna be trade capital. Now me, just myself, I hope it's not Soroka because I love Mike. And I think if he can just get onto the field and get a few starts underneath him, healthy, without issues, then I think he's going to take off. And I think he's going to go back to being Mike Soroka. I really do. And I know that seems like pie-in-the-sky thinking. And I understand that. I understand that you can't wait forever for a guy to be healthy. And this is why you know it's different being a fan and being Alex Anthopoulos. Because the fan is going to remember 2019. The fan is going to remember how insane Mike Soroka was. And remember that it wasn't going to be Max Freed who was going to be the anchor of the rotation. It was going to be Mike Soroka. And that he just looked like we started calling him Maple Maddox for a reason. But if you can't get on the field, then it doesn't matter. And you can't hold a spot forever. This is Soroka's last year under contract think we'll see how it plays out with arp he's got to show something he's going to stick around with the ball club i hope i hope he wins it i hope and if if soroka and ian both look fantastic then the braves could opt for a six-man rotation to start the year they could just kind of roll through and give guys days off because i don't think you want to give soroka 30 starts this year i think that would be fantastic if he's able to get 30 starts but i don't think you want to count on that so you can use some guys to give guys in like a week off or something like that but my point is, there is plenty of pitching depth that are young, controllable arms. What Boston or what Baltimore really needs. Yes, they have Grayson Rodriguez. Yes, they have D.L. Hall. But they don't have pitching talent in the minors right now. They don't have pitching talent in the majors. Kyle Gibson is their number two right now. They have a ton of outfielders between Colton Kowser, Kyle Stowers, Sowers, um, between Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Heston Kierstad, they've got Dylan Beavers. They've got a multitude of outfield talent to try to find spots for. You could get Sontander for a pitching package. As long as Dylan Dodd ain't going in that package, because Dylan Dodd is the truth, and I, would, I, I think that next year when Charlie Morton is not with the Braves, Dylan Dodd is taking his spot in the rotation, and it's going to look fantastic. Outside of that, you could get Sontander for a song, relatively speaking. That would just fit so, so well. Alex, if you're listening, buddy, just get me Sontander. If it blows up, you can blame me for it. I'll take the heat for that. It's not going to blow up, though. It's a perfect fit. Hopefully, hopefully Eddie decides that he's going to go back to being Barry Bonds, Eddie, and it just doesn't matter. But if not, get me Anthony Sontander at some point this year. That's all I'm saying. Give me somebody like that. I think the Braves would go back and win again. I think I think if you if you added like a Santander to this team, the Braves would no doubt be the best lineup in baseball. They would be the best team in baseball as well. So just something to look at. All right, guys, I went a little bit longer than I wanted to, but it's been a while since I've done one of these podcasts. Uh, so it's it's nice to see. We're gonna start getting them back up and running every week now. So never fear, six four three is back. Thank you to the people that have been asking me about it. I uh, appreciate that you guys are. Waiting on pins and needles to get the episodes. It's really cool. 
Again, you can hear me pretty much every week. Won't be today because Georgia Tech's playing during my time slot. But typically, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., you can hear me on the Front Rose Audio Fun Bag until baseball season starts. In which case, you'll you'll hear me. I'm sure I'll be around. Um, but you'll definitely hear me on Saturdays as we're getting ready for 643 to pick up again on Saturday mornings, uh, 9, to, uh, 9 to 11. So um, have a great day, guys. Looking forward to seeing Ian Anderson get out on the bump. Hopefully that slider is going to be fantastic. And uh, looking forward to seeing some of these other young guys. Next week, we'll get into uh, talking about some of these young guys who are making the jump this year. Some of the guys that I think are going to really stand out at camp, including Dylan Dodd, who I mentioned, and some other ones who you should really, really keep an eye on. Because it might not be this season. It won't be early in the year. But there's a few guys that aren't going to be making the name, making the rounds on the prospect forums that I think the Braves have earned a bit of benefit of the doubt on that they're way better at their prospect ranking, including a, a few different pitchers that we've seen just a little bit this spring. All right, guys, thanks a lot. We'll get this one up here in a second. Have a great day. Have a great week. Uh, again, make sure you tune in tomorrow. 6 to 8 p.m. We'll be on 6 to the fan for the Front Rose Audio Fun Bag. That's going to do it for me. Ta-ta now, y'all. <laughs> That's all, folks. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 